you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And you could just hold your place right there. Today being the last message in our series on the gospel of hope, I want to remind you that we've been using our series to go through a season where we revisit our mission statement and our vision for what the Lord has called us to do here. And so why don't you say this, this statement with me one more time. It's going to be on the screen. You ready? Bethel Baptist Church exists to make mature disciples of Christ here, there, and everywhere. Now that's why we exist as a church. That's what the Father has called us to do. But I want to ask you a very personal question today as you get started. If this is why we exist, have you ever stopped and thought for a moment, why do you exist? That's a deep question. Now, everybody can think about that question and ask, why do we exist? But now, if you're a follower of Christ, let me ask you this question. Why did the Father see fit to bring salvation to you? Why are we even allowed to breathe? Why do we exist? And the simple form of that, of, of that answer to that question is this. We exist to worship. In fact, we all worship. But for those who are followers of Christ, we are called to, to worship Him. We are, we are called to live our life in such a way that we bring honor and glory to our Father. Well, how do we do that? Well, we worship Him by the way in which we fulfill our roles in marriage, in the way in which we work, in the way in which we parent, in the way in which we study and go to school, in the way in which we obey our parents. In all that we do, we exist to live our life as an act of worship to the One who gave His life for us. In fact, that's kind of what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12, that he begged them, that they would present their bodies as a living sacrifice unto Christ. Now I want you to see this. When we think about our mission statement, we exist to make mature disciples of Christ here, there, and everywhere. It is when we, who are, or you, the people of the church, when we begin to live our life as a life of worship unto King Jesus, there is a great hope that follows for our church. So think about it. This PowerPoint slide might help you kind of visualize this. When we live out our faith in these areas, here are some of the areas that we've covered. You see our mission statement, here, there, and everywhere. We're trying to make mature disciples. And so when we live our lives as an act of worship in, in our lives, we, we have this hope for us. We, we live it out in our work. It lives itself out in our families, in our community, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. When we begin to take this mission statement, we begin to take this vision very seriously, there, there's a great hope for our church. You can think about it this way. The degree to which we make this vision a part of our personal, everyday lives will be the degree to which our church accomplishes this vision. The degree to which this becomes a living reality in your life will be the degree to which we actually accomplish this mission. And man, I really hope and I pray that you begin to see this vision 
not just as a part of a cute little saying, it's just not something you remember, that it really begins to be central in your own personal life. That you begin to say, you know what? Here's why I exist. Jesus saved me for a purpose. He saved me for a reason. And His Word says that when I'm filled with His Spirit, I will be His witness here, there, and everywhere. And so how can my life begin to emulate that? How can I begin to to live with that purpose in my own life? As we get started today, I, I want to make a confession that this is not the passage that I had intended to preach. I read Revelation chapter 3 this week as part of a meeting. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, it, it kind of made me stop in my tracks. And almost, you can think about it in the fact that it, it, it made me consider the actions of my own life. I believe there's a great hope for our church. I believe there's a great hope for, for you I feel led today that today we need to stop. And we need to examine our own hearts. Because the truth of the matter is, a healthy church is made up of healthy people. And if you become healthy in your own life, our church will be healthy as a byproduct of that. So here's Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Let these words sink in. To the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now don't let that throw you off. Here's the, here's the sobering part. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Whew. I know your works. I see what you're doing. You've got a reputation, man, that by all accounts, you look like you're doing good. But I see your heart, and you're dead. Let me explain why this is so sober. Because if we're not careful, we'll look at our lives, we'll look at our works, and we'll say, oh, man, look, we're doing good things. We're alive. We've got a team going to Haiti next month. Our pastor is going to Indonesia in in April. There are people that are going to Toronto in a church plant in in July. We're serving this city uh, next month as well. And I can see it, guys. We begin to take our actions and we begin to think because we are doing things that everything is well. And I see this played out. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond... That it plays itself out in situations like this in your personal life. Man, I'm alive. I go to church. People say that all the time. I'm doing great in my Christian walk. I, I teach a Sunday school class every once in a while. I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I volunteer in the nursery, or I cut the grass, or I serve on this team. I've been here, I've been there, I've done this, I've done that, I've done A, B, and C at the church. I'm a pretty good follower of Christ. But then the question is, why do you do that? Are you doing that because you're responding to the fact that Jesus has done so much for you and you can't help, but out of the overflow of His love for you, return that in love to somebody else? 
Or are you doing it because you just want to have your name out there? You see, and sometimes we begin to, to get these measuring sticks. I've done a little bit of good, and well, now I can do a little bit of bad. Uh, I've, I've served the Lord in this way, so, so now let, let me go out and, and get drunk on a consistent basis. Let, let me go out and have sex with somebody that's not my spouse. I've got a church, but let me go out and look at pornography on the internet. And I'm not going to give to the church. I'm not going to be concerned about those who don't have a relationship with Christ and will perish without a relationship with Him. God knows your works. Man, you may give off the appearance that you're alive. God said any of us are dead. That's the tragic place to be. I read the story this week about a about a pastor of a large growing church. Abruptly, he came in one Sunday and he resigned. Didn't really give an explanation of why he was resigning, but he resigned. And what came to light was he resigned because he had had been discovered that he had been having an affair on his wife for three years. He resigned thinking that his affair would not come to light. And the staff and the the team of elders that he served with, to them, they saw the sign. They they saw things where things just didn't look right. But they chalked it up. Well, ministry, it's just taxing on him. He's he's getting worn out. He's getting burned out. And so they, they began to chalk it up to that. And then one night in a business meeting, one of the elders, one of the leaders of the church, Said, said what everybody was thinking. Here's what he said, and I quote. He said, what makes this whole situation so hard to understand is that some of our most powerful weekend services took place during the three years he was having this affair. And that just didn't make sense, right? Why, uh, why would God seem to add his blessing in a situation where the pastor was having an affair? It's possible that you can have the appearance of godliness, but inwardly you're dead. Think about it this way. Uh, For those of you who are into science, uh, one of the closest stars to us is four light years away from us. We we hear that term, light years, and it's hard for us to kind of think about that. The the speed of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And so a, a light year would be somewhere around 6 trillion miles. That's a lot. That's a long way. There are stars that are, you know, 30, 40 light years away from us that are, are visible to us. Right, Rusty? I'm not getting anything off base, right? Rusty's my resident expert here. Okay? Here's what's possible. It's possible for a light, for a star that is 30 light years away from us to explode and, and quit giving off light. And we wouldn't know it for 30 years. We would still see the light because it travel, it takes so long to get to us. That's a picture of what's going on in sorrows. That's a picture of what may be going on in your personal life. Inwardly, there's been an explosion and you're dead. But you're still giving off the light. Jesus says, 
that's not a good thing. He says, in fact, here's what you're to do in verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Mm. Sobering. Sobering words. That's the picture of the person who, on the outside, everything is fine, but there's no desire for the things of God. There's no desire to worship Him. There's no spiritual life in you. Just an outward appearance. Oh, and I'm being as humble as I can. I love you with all of my heart. But this is a sobering passage. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. That we have to wake up. We have to be alive on the inside. We ever want to make a difference on the outside. So very quickly, I want to share two truths with you. And I'm going to bounce off a couple of passages of Scripture, and then I'm going to tie those together, and then we'll wrap it up. All right, so when we think about the church having hope, let me first of all take the, the burden of responsibility off of us just for a moment. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Jesus has been on the road for, for some time. He's been doing ministry. And so he has his disciples together for a moment. And he's inquiring because the disciples are going to hear things that Jesus is not going to hear. That, that's just like you. You're going to hear things about me that, uh, that people aren't going to tell me. And so he begins to ask the disciples, Hey guys, who, who does everybody think I really am? And so they, they begin to say, well, some of them think you're Elijah. Some of them think you might be John the Baptist, one of the prophets. And they have all of these thoughts about who you are. And then Jesus asked them very specifically, well, well, who do you think that I am? Now, Peter, Peter's the one who normally gets like his foot stuck in his mouth. Peter's normally the one who, who speaks up and he says things he really shouldn't say. Peter gets it really, really right on. Here's what Peter says. Hey, hey, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Peter knew this was the long way to Messiah. And here's what Jesus says to Peter in verse 18. It's going to be on the screen. Verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, who's going to build my church? I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against. You see, don't ever. We, we should never get to this idea that we think, I've got to build the church for Jesus. And that's not true. Last time I checked, he was pretty powerful. Right? Last time I checked, he spoke creation into existence. He does not need us to build his church. You know, there, there was a time in David's life, and the pinnacle kind of, of, of his power and, and his kingdom, he looked out and he was like, man, I'm here. I'm living in this big, big palace. I've got this nice house. And he looks out over the landscape and he sees this rickety tent out there and that's where the Holy of Holies was. And he was like, well, that's not right. I'm living in this nice house and God's out there living in this little sorry tent. I'm going to build him a house. And Nathan, the prophet, it was kind of like the preacher for David at that time. It's like, all right, go do everything that's in your heart. 
And then that night, David uh, Nathan had a vision, and had a, had a talk with the Lord, and God said, nope, David don't need to do that. And it's almost like God was saying, David, do you really think I need you to build me a house? Do you think really think that God needs you to build his church? He's very capable of doing that. But now here's the truth. God can build his church anytime he wants to. But he does desire to use people like you. And here's the second thing. We're going to tie these together. Second principle, our responsibility is to remain in him. Now I want you to read this text with me. It's going to be on the screen. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, so he's the source of everything. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch... That's every person in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it can bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. That simply means to remain. Remain in me and I in you. Because as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides or remains in me and I in him, that person is the one that will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we know that Jesus is going to build his church. We know that he calls us to be his hands and his feet. We see that and we hear that. You know what our first inclination is? Well, let me go get busy. Let me go do this. Let me go do that. Let me get involved in this ministry. Let me do this. But that's not what Jesus is saying to us here. What Jesus says to us here is that if we really want to be used by Him to build His church, catch this phrase. It's not going to be on the screen, but it is worth writing down. The key is not in our doing things for Him, but in our being with Him. Did you catch that? If if we really want to make a difference for Jesus' kingdom, the key is not what we do for Him. The key is the fact that we are being with Him. That we are spending time with Him. You see, what we do for Jesus, it matters tremendously. But it does not matter nearly as much as our being with Jesus. So Jesus has promised He's going to build His church. He's promised that He's going to use us to do that. But he's going to use people who learn to abide in him. In the 1700s, y'all ever heard of the, uh, the, the theologian Jonathan Edwards from like back in the 1700s? He was a great theologian. His, the greatest sermon he ever preached was sinners in the hands of an angry God. In, in the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards did a Bible study beginning looking at people who, who did things for God, but with, didn't have a life with God. He looked at men like Balaam in the Old Testament. He looked at men like, like Saul before he was converted. He looked at men like Judas that walked with Jesus and then turned his back on him uh, at the end of those three years. All of these men engaged in, in what looked like everybody would around them would have said, hey, they're, they're really doing great work for the kingdom of heaven. But none of these men really had an authentic relationship with the Father. And he concluded that the only mark of a genuine spiritual mature maturity and, and ministry effectiveness was the outworking of a person that has a self-giving love for God and for others. 
You see, we never get there unless we learn the principle of remaining in a committed, vibrant relationship with Jesus. I'm just going to be honest with you. That means that you have to allot Jesus' time in your life. If you're not willing to, to, to make spending time with Jesus a priority in your life, you'll never learn this principle of remaining in Him. If you're not willing to take this step, you will pay for it later. Here, here's a great statement. You can live a life at warp speed, but it's going to warp your soul in the end. You've got to learn this principle of slowing down. If you skim on your time with God now, you will pay for it later. It always happens. But now, I, let's go a step further. Okay? How do we remain in Him? If I were to ask you, okay, how are, how are we going to remain? How are we going to abide in Christ? I, I, I can tell you what you're going to say. i got to do a Bible study. That's right, you do, Lord. I mean, you, every, every follower of Christ needs to do a Bible study. Preacher, I need to pray. That's true. Every single, every single follower of Christ, you need to spend a certain amount of time, and I think every day, before the Lord in prayer. You need to do this. Well, I need to journal. Man, you need to do it. If, you, if that's, your, that's your thing, you need to do it. I, I need to pray. I mean, singing, that, that helps me worship. Do it. I, I'm... All those things are right. But here's the key to abiding in Christ. I want you to catch this. The key to remaining in Christ is obeying those things that the Father reveals to you. I don't care how many Bible studies you do, but when you fail to do those things that God has clearly said you should do, you're struggling. There's something off in your relationship with Christ. Here's what one writer said. He said, Remaining in Christ is living in such a close relationship with Jesus that you allow the will of God to have access to every area of your life. You see, what some of us want to do, we want to have a Bible study. We want to have a quiet time. We want to walk away and say, Man, I feel good. I I just had a great time with Jesus. But we don't want to read those parts of scriptures that step on our toes. We don't want to do those things that makes us a little uncomfortable. And when we're not willing to do those things, you better go back to Revelation chapter 3 because you're in the process of beginning to be that person that says, oh man, on the outside it looks really good, but on the inside there's something that's drastically wrong. Alive on the outside, dead on the inside. My favorite, one of my favorite pastors in all of the world is Johnny Hunt. I'm going to his pastor's conference next month. Thank, thank you for uh, sending my wife and I to that. He's going to be at the men's conference in, in Inglewood that same week, and so uh, I'll be ready to preach that coming that Sunday. I'll, I'll be filled. He just, he, he just wrote a new book to men called Demolishing Strongholds. I started to buy it this past week on Amazon, but I had to thought, well, maybe he'll give it away for free at the pastor's conference, and so I'll wait. And so you know how you can go on Amazon and they'll give you, like, a free preview. Like, you know, they'll give you, like, the first four or five pages on, on the book if you, if you do that on Amazon. And so I go on Amazon, so I start reading, you know, just to see, you know, kind of what's in the book. And, man, just right up the front, I, I read it Friday. I think it was Friday. He tells this guy he's a public speaker, and he's well-known within the Fortune 500 companies. Like, I mean, he, he's really this, this great public speaker within, the, within that circle. 
And he said, on the outside, this guy has everything together. He said, he'll, he, Johnny Hunt, here's what he said. He said, personal testimony. He said, I sat beside this guy with his wife sitting behind him. And he said, I'll spend 30 to 45 minutes every day in my quiet time reading Oswald Chambers. And then I'll go into the scriptures and spend time reading the scriptures. And he said, all the while, I know what I'm going to do that night. He's got two affairs with his wife and gets drunk on a consistent basis. And Johnny Hunt said... I'm convinced that he is not the exception, but the norm. The people who are going to spend time in their walk with Jesus, in their Bible study, in their prayer time, all the while knowing they're going to do things that break the heart of God, they're going to intentionally go against what God has laid out for them in His Word, what they should do. Trying to have a close walk with God without having, allowing access, God access into every single aspect of your life. Have the appearance of godliness, but no life in it. So what do we do? Well, we go back to Revelation chapter 3. And we, God says, remember then what you have received, and what you have heard, and we do this in verse 3. We keep it. We repent. If we don't, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. We repent. In Revelation chapter 3, it goes on to say, if you will repent, you will be clothed with the white garments that symbolizing salvation. Jesus will never blot your name out of the book of life. today, I ask you a very sobering question. Are you giving off the appearance of a follower of Christ, but inwardly dead? Only you know the answer to that question. Today, if God were to to come back, but he look at you and say, oh, you've talked a big game. You've done a few good things, but your heart has never been right with me. If not, there's a great hope for you because Jesus died before me. And today, you can be forgiven you can be redeemed. You can walk out of this room today a changed person. I believe that with all of my heart. That's, that's why I do what I do. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song and, and call it an invitation, a short opportunity to respond to what the Father is doing. If that's you this morning, could just about cut cartwheels down this aisle if you'll surrender your life to Jesus. And say, Pastor, today, 
I want to give him everything I have. Would you come? And just simply say, Pastor, I, I put on a show, but today I want to give my heart to King Jesus. When we have men and women that are willing to do that, we have yet to see what this church can do. You pray with me. Only you, Lord Jesus, can change the hearts of Lord, this is your word. It is your word to us. Lord, would you have your way during this invitation? For your glory. Amen. Would you stand? Would you come as the Lord leads?